talking today about the deliverers. Who are the deliverers? Can you hear me or not hear me? Testing one, two, three. Blessing one, two, three. Okay. All right, good. I just saw one of our people going like that. Why are you shaking your head? Can you hear me? Oh, okay. All right. So that was a hand of agreement. Hallelujah. Um, the Word of God records the history of God with his creation, mankind. God created man in his image and in his likeness. And for the purpose of a loving relationship with him, we kind of forget why, you know, I mean, it's not like God needed anything else, but he decided he wanted to see love coming his way. And love couldn't come his way from us unless it was voluntary. And so God gave us an incredible gift, free will. You all understand free will? You can decide for yourself. You can make up your own mind. You can choose one way or another. Now, the ability to choose to know and love God and obey him, that's ours alone. God doesn't force it upon us. If he forced it on us, it really wouldn't be love now, would it? It would be, well, just, just a command, like a, like a slave making a statement, maybe not in their heart at all. And with this freedom of a free will, you realize that uh, it comes with, um, I'm going to have to put on my glasses, folks, I'm sorry. Don't normally need them here. Free will. Okay. The ability to choose to know and love God and obey Him, or to choose to follow the desires of our own flesh. In other words, man makes a decision. That responsibility, you can choose to follow God, or you can choose to follow man, which is now becomes your God. You become your own God, or Men are your God. They're the ones that direct you, and those are the ones that you believe that they have truth. Freedom comes, as I said, great responsibility. I want you to think about it. I want you to think about who's free today. Are you a free person? Do you realize that in life, you have these choices that you make. But every time we make a choice, we have moved ourselves in a certain direction. And for example, a young kid comes along, or a young man, and he decides to, well, drink or take drugs. And then he gets addicted. Is he a free man? No. 
he's bound by those decisions that he made and the habit that has developed. So he's not free anymore. He's, he's, he's got something that's holding him in place. And whether we w realize it or not, um, we're making a decision. If we reject God, we fall into bondage and then further deception. And that's what happens. You make one decision, you start going down a path, you're going down a path, and you're on the wrong path. Well, how do you get out of that path? Well, one thing I love about God is he gives us a, 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 an opportunity to follow him fully. For example, the first two free people that ever lived were Adam and Eve. There was nobody like them. They were perfect in how God made them. They were smart. You can't imagine how much God must have put into their brain in their creation. I mean, it, it, it's phenomenal if you look back and you see the things that were built in ancient times. Un unbelievable construction, things that you could never figure out. How did, they, how did they possibly do that? They didn't have equipment. They didn't have power tools. And yet the things they made were just phenomenal. So men used their freedom. The serpent in the garden, you know, he can disguise, he disguises himself as a, an angel of light. The prince of the power of the air, because he's called the same thing. So in other words, put it this way. If we look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, that won't be up on the screen, screen, you find that at one time we were all led by the prince of the power of the air, the spirit of disobedience that works on all of us. In other words, thinking we were free, we never were free. As a matter of fact, we were in bondage. We didn't even know the difference. That's possible. You can grow up in a certain thing and you think this is the way life is. It's, and it isn't. It's like coming out of a cave and then finding out that there's a sun out there. You were born in a cave and now you, what, there's, what's this? There's a whole creation out there you never knew about. So, believing they are free. People in this world are nothing more, the majority of them, than lost, lost souls rushing down that wide road that leads to destruction. Now, why am I going here? Because what we have is a, a world that is in need of help. Where will this help come from? Are we the people here who are called to make a difference and make or be the help in that world? And so when we start thinking about this, we can look at all of these things, all those sinners, and just those, I've, I've, actually, I've actually been, you know, just talk about the church for a moment. 
There's so many different branches in the church and things that people do. And I remember I was with, um, well, we'll say a, a particular person that was really believed in what we call Reformed theology. And one of the things about Reformed theology is that they believe, well, you're called by God, and the only way you can be saved is if God saves you. And it doesn't matter if you make a confession of faith even. The whole idea is you will be saved because you've been selected. And uh, we were in a situation, and this gentleman, who was a good Christian man, he was an engineer. I still remember he was working down in Massachusetts. And he had a person in his uh, company, a, a woman that was there. And this is a true story, by the way. She was diagnosed with cancer. And I remember being in a Bible study with him. And he said, well, she got exactly what she deserved because she didn't believe Jesus. I want to tell you something. It wouldn't be but a year or two when he was struck with a virus. The virus affected his brain. And in just a few months, he was dead. Be careful what we think and what we say and how we look at others especially those who are out there hurting. They didn't believe in healing either, for that matter, in that form of theology. It's all in the past. It's all, uh, much of it is uh, dispensational. So from the beginning of creation, men have disappointed God or pleased God by their choices. Think of it. Obedience brings blessing. There are consequences for what we do that's wrong. The only restriction that Adam and Eve, these perfect people, had was not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They were deceived. Eve was deceived. Adam and Eve, they ate the forbidden fruit, so to speak. And death came into the world and passed to all men. It's interesting, through one man's sin, the whole human race fell. And uh, we read here in uh, Romans 5, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. Before God pronounced the results of the sin and cast them out of the garden of Eden, he promised that he would one day send a deliverer to save them. Jesus Christ is that promised Savior, deliverer. There's no other one that can save us today but Jesus. There's only one major religion that really exists, and that is Christianity, biblical Christianity, and every other religion is a false religion. You mean you don't believe in all of these people who believe in the same God? No, they're not believing in the same God. You start looking at some of these, they believe in the moon God. They, they call him Allah, but they believe in the moon God. That's not, that's not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's a, a foreign God, you might say. Or they believe in whatever they believe in. But 
Jesus Christ is the promised Savior. And in verse 17, he says this, For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one that was Adam, much more, those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So how does a person receive salvation? Well, Ephesians 2 verse 4 says, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing, surpassing riches of grace and the kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand. So let's just say, let me sum up a couple of things that I, where I'm going here today. First thing is, man's in trouble. They're dead in their sins. Hell awaits them. Men need a deliverer. Somebody's got to save them. The only one who can save them is Jesus Christ. But yet, Jesus Christ has made uh, the way to salvation through him, through his people. We call it the church people of God. So the world out there is not going to come to eternal life. They're not going to be saved. They're not going to have the blinders removed from their eyes unless the gospel of Jesus Christ is heard and they receive it. At that point in time, they have to make that decision to act upon it. You all have to make that decision. And if you haven't, you need to do it. Or else. And I'm not threatening. God makes it clear. It, it is a or else. It's one way or the other. It's heaven or hell. Heaven or hell. I like it that way. That's, that's better. So there's no doubt that God has made a way for us to receive eternal life. And he has chosen to bring the good news of Jesus Christ through you and I. That sums up where we are right now. A world in need of deliverance, a people called to save them through Jesus Christ. They don't save them, but we bring the good news of the gospel, and God saves them. Only Jesus saves. You know, uh, I want to talk about salvation for just a moment, and uh, I have often stated that Salvation is one of the most complex doctrines of the Bible. It really is. We've, we've made it so simple, haven't we? You know, you come, you confess Jesus. Well, the Bible says that. But there's something here that we miss. Is that where we stop? Is, is that secure us forever? You realize most Christians believe that, uh, and I always believed, I come to Jesus, I receive him as my Lord and Savior, it's all set. And then I go about my life doing my own thing. 
Only I didn't have that experience. I was just called to just be with him in the scriptures and got to know him and love him. It was a, a wonderful, most wonderful experience of my whole life. I was about 30 years old at the time, 31 years old at the time when I came to Christ. So, why is it a complex doctrine? Well, for a number of reasons that I don't want to go into today because it's complex. And that means that there's so many things in the Bible that say one thing and then say another thing, but they don't disagree. The Bible is true. And sometimes what we have to recognize is that when we see something in the Word of God that looks like it's conflicting, all it means is we don't understand it. And there's a way to begin to see what God's actually trying to say to us or saying to us, but you have to work through it to get there. In other words, it doesn't always come, come easily. So Matthew 10, 22 says, You will be hated by all because of my name, but, is, but it is the one who has endured to the end who shall be saved. Wait a minute. Just pray the prayer. That's it. What's this endure to the end stuff? What do you mean? There, there's something else that comes besides the prayer? Absolutely. What does that mean? Oh, Matthew 24, Jesus makes it clear again. But the one who endures to the end will be, say it, say it, saved. Now, I didn't say that. Jesus said it. So you, you see how a simple uh, rendition of the Bible and the maybe four spiritual laws can really be misleading. It's, it's like, okay, well, I... I pray this prayer all set. And I've seen people get saved on their deathbed, literally led to Christ on their deathbed. And I don't know really necessarily what to do with that, but I know there's a place in heaven for men. Don't think that everybody in heaven is the same thing. Oh, we're all going to heaven. You all going to heaven? How many of you going to heaven? Let's see your hands. There's a couple of you that are not sure, I see. Okay. We're going to make that sure. So we're going to heaven. Good. Uh, I'm glad we're all going to heaven. Will we all, will we all be able to uh, do the same thing in heaven? What do you think? No. We're going to be 144,000 that follow the Lord wherever he goes, that sing a song that nobody else can sing. There's going to be crowns given to some. There's going to be 12 and 24 elders before the throne of God. Are you one of the 24 elders? Are you one of the 12? Good. You're humble. That's a, that's a good place to be. But we, are you one of the 144,000? No, I guess not. If you're not a Mormon or Jehovah's Witness, you've missed out on that, right? I mean, when you look at these things, it gets complex, doesn't it? It's not so easy. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are, what does it say? Being saved? Does it say that? Yeah, it's very interesting. Uh, it is the power of God. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The original language is very interesting there. 
it, the, it, the, uh, the, the tense of that is the idea of being saved, you're saved, and continuing to be saved. So you have the present tense and the future tense in that word. I want you to think about that for a moment. So how were you saved? By faith through grace, right? By faith through... Well, now that saving faith continues in your life. There are people who turn away from God. It says so in the Bible, but no. We got theologians that are going to say this to you. No, no, no. That, that. They never were saved to begin with. That's, that's a lie. They want you to think, hey, oh, every, everybody's safe. Let me tell you, every time you give people a choice, like, for example, how many of you uh, believe in the first in the in the rapture. Yeah. Um, how many of you believe in the uh, we'll call it uh, yeah midterm rapture, so to speak. Hmm. Uh, how many people have you believe that you'll be here right through the whole tribulation, pre-trib rapture rather, midterm mid rapture tribulation rapture, post-tribulation rapture. You realize that when you look at this, there's three possibilities actually in the scripture. So which one have you chosen? First one. Why not? Who wants to see any problem? Well, tell the brothers and sisters that are having their heads lapped off over there in, in the Middle East that, you know, there's no tribulation. We have more people actually martyred in the last two years than we can think of in, in all, almost all of, all of history. I mean, this is, this is a real thing. People are giving up their lives because they believe in Jesus. But, well, we're, we're, we're good. We're good. God's going to take me out of this. Philippians chapter 2, look at this, verse 12. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as my, in my presence only, how much more in my absence. Work out your salvation with what? Fear and trembling. Well, what does that mean exactly? I mean, I, I want you to think about this. Why would I have to work out my salvation with, free, uh, with fear and trembling if I'm already saved and going to heaven, just going to be caught out of here? Let me, how, how does that work? Is there something we're missing here? Is there something we're not seeing? Or is it something we don't want to see? You've got to decide for yourself. I, I always like the easy route too, but the easy route isn't always the best way to get things done. Now, again, we come down here. How does a believer work out their salvation? Philippians 2, well, God gives us a way. If he says something, he makes a way for us. And Philippians 2, verses 13 through 16. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you'll prove yourself to be blameless and innocent. Children of God, above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. Well, what does that tell you? 
that says that something has to have changed in us so that we are people that are reflecting the Lord Jesus Christ. He's in us, working through us. Notice that your light's in the world. And I say this again, I, I know I picked up on this, but yes, we have a Laodicean church today in America. And in fact, around most of the world. What does that mean? It's lazy. It's, it's recreational Christianity. We gather together. We sing songs together. All of this is good, by the way, and it's in the Bible. But what we fail to see here is that that's not what Christianity is about. It's about being God's person here on planet Earth. It's about reflecting Jesus to others. It's about following God fully. And I want to scare people with this because a lot of people, again, remember what I said. You have three choices. And by the way, if you wanted to look at the three choices, pre-tribulation rapture, mid-tribulation rapture, and post-tribulation rapture, I can prove all three from the Scripture. What does that tell you? It tells you something. It's not that you have choices A, choice A, column A, column B, column C. That's not what it t it's teaching you. It's teaching you that different things are going to happen with different folks. I mean, you, you, you have to face these things. So we come down with these doctrines that we set up and, and okay, we're this, I love this church. They believe we're all going up. That's it, no problem. Let's just hang out. Let's have some parties. Let's hang out together. Let's do this. Let's do that. Talk football. Nothing wrong with football in, in moderation. But I'm just saying what we call recreational Christianity. Are we in the Word of God? Are we praying? Are we listening? Are we believing God? Are we holding fast to the Lord? Or are we just kind of coasting along, thinking everything will eventually just work out just fine? You know, that's like a husband talking to his wife when there's a problem. And she says, what are we going to do about this? And he says, it's going to be okay. Then she asked the terrible question, how is it going to be okay? And you say, don't worry about it. It'll be okay. And then what is the plan to make it okay? And he says, don't worry about it. It'll all work out. And you see, we, we wind up in this place where we really believe it's going to work out okay, but we have no idea how we're going to get from where we are to where we're going to be. That's just the nature of man. So he goes on to say here, by the way, appearing as lights in the world, and says to this, verse 16, I missed that, holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. And what we're learning there in Philippians is that we need to continue with Jesus and we need to be in the process. And one of the things you got to be careful of too is this. Christians, even sincere Christians, can be deceived in substituting a knowledge of the Word of God and all of these, oh, that was so good, what I heard for the reality of walking with Christ and Christ walking with them. There's a big difference. 
And sometimes we miss it. And the more complex the doctrine, the more this, the more that. Oh, he, the, well, what, I just love this. And then you look at this and say, okay, it's, it's a good thing we saw in the Bible. But how does it affect you? What's it gonna, what are you going to do about it? What have you learned from it? How are you walking in it? These are things we have to ask ourselves continually, I believe. The Apostle Paul did not leave the church of Philippi to itself. They were in trouble when he wrote that to Philippi, to the Philippians. And he sent uh, Timothy and Epaphroditus, two trusted workers that he had, to that church to walk with them and get it through. You know what? We need one another. And sometimes we just need someone to lead us to where we are going to go. And you need trusted people to do that. Proving character, it says. Men of proving character. I love it. They were men of proving character. Well, what proves your character? Testing? Experience? Now, we have some really good men of character in this church. We really do, and, and women of character. And I want to tell you that's a hard thing to come by. People always change. You just watch what happens in families and different things that take place, and you look at this and you say, well, what happened? They were all loving one another till, until they had died. Now they're all fighting over what, what was left, over things, relationships ripped apart and broken. Why? Are they proving their character? Yeah, they're proving it, but it's not coming out too good, is it? When we squabble like a, a, a bunch of sparrows over a piece of bread. In Philippians 3.2, he warns us, Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. You know how many Christians are bound by legalism? You've got to keep this day. You have to do it this way. I mean, one thing after another. You, your dress has to be a certain length. And it's a good thing to be modest. But I mean, before you know it, it's all these works that you have. And it's kind of like clothesline Christianity. It, it's not real. You're working yourself in, in, in to, to do your salvation. That's not what God wants for us. He wants us to, in this relationship with him, to be comfortable, to, to walk with him in love without fear. And by the time we're done and we have so many things on us, then we're not measuring up to this, we're not measuring up to that. And the next thing you know, we're forgetting the whole point of why we even exist in Christ. Legalism's a killer. In my lifetime, I can't think of a time when the church faced so much opposition from sources from without and from within. Look at our nation. It's serious trouble. We are in really serious trouble. 
I just was reading the other day, certain uh, retired, recently retired FBI agents have said that we are experiencing a soft invasion across the border. Now, what's a soft invasion? It just means they're not coming with guns. Okay, they had a couple IEDs that they found, but people are coming across the border. Oh, let them come. Wait a minute. They're reckon the people who are suffering the most from this illegal immigration are some of the poor people and middle-class people in this country. Why are they suffering? Because they do rely on government for certain needs that they have, and now they're not available to them. Their schools are crowded. They're not learning in their schools. I mean, you can go down the whole list. The state of Texas and the National Guard are stringing ra razor wire along the border. The Supreme Court has ruled that the federal government can cut the wire. But Texas says, no way. National Guard's out there. We're stringing wire. Guess what? 24 other states have signed a petition rejecting the Supreme Court's decision and standing with Texas that the state has the right to protect itself from invasion from outside. I want you to think about it. Well, 24 plus Texas, that's 25. How many states are there? You realize how serious these things are getting? And where are our troops while we're being invaded? They're over in the Middle East. What are they doing in the Middle East? Protecting oil? Protecting a strait over there? Why are we doing that? That oil goes to the Chinese. Does it make any sense? We've lost our minds collectively in what's important and what's not. Around the world, a weak America has led to unrest and dangerous players are causing problems. Let me say this. Around the world, a weak church has let their guard down and the whole nations that they represent that we're in, people are falling into the pit of hell because the church isn't doing what God called it to do. It's not shining like that bright light. It's failing to do that. What we need is not just what I would call Sunday Christians. What we need is disciples, true followers of Christ. We've been working on that for a long time, and someone said, well, what are we going to do? Well, we're, we're close. I mean, everybody wants to know what the program is. Not a problem with the program and what we need to do and how we need to do it. The only pro problem is you can't do it without accountability, and we haven't quite figured out how to do that. We're just trying that with the elders right now, and, and I'm, I'm finding I'm, I'm terrible at that. I, I, I need a supervisor, so to speak, you know? But what I'm saying is the accountability part of this is the real part. Why is that? Because it requires on the part of every believer submission to one another. And is that biblical? Of course it is. But hey, I, I only want to... I want to be my own man, my own woman. Well, you're not your own man or own woman. Somebody owns you. And it's either Jesus Christ or it's this world. It's one or the other. 
So, as I go down here looking at this, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. I have to tell you, this is one of the things that always poisons the church. Now, I'm not saying this. I, I'm, I'm really happy if you listen to other sermons from other people. I'm not saying that I'm the only guy that you should be listening to, but I want you to tell you, be careful. Be careful what you listen to because the next thing you know, you're coming into your church and you're bringing in stuff that just isn't God. But you think it is. And so you wind up being deceived because you, you're not following sound doctrine. But this guy's got a church. It's so full of people. It, it must be right. Really? I'm watching a guy preach to a church with 3,000 people in it Every Sunday, three services. That's three, six, nine thousand people, right? And he's up at the podium. He's saying, "You know, guys, um, he's not, I don't I particularly agree with all of his doctrine, but he's talking some truth. You know, folks, uh, you got a lot of here, but you know, it's not uh, going as it should. You know, we really need to be a different kind of people." Right? And so they sit in the pew, they listen to that, and you know what they believe? They're a different kind of people. Now, is he deceiving them? No, they're deceiving themselves. He's being honest with them. But what are they being? Well, I heard it, so I must be. That's why I stay away from some of the end-time teaching and some of the things that God has showed me, because what I have found is if people see this in the Word of God, they think they have it. But there's a difference between seeing and having. You know that? I mean, you can pick a number of scriptures on that, but just, there is. It's like believing, oh, Jesus Christ. Look, how many of you believed in Jesus Christ before you came to Jesus Christ? You all believe we were okay? Or we were baptized? Right? We, uh, we, we hung out with people who talked about Jesus. We, we went to churches that preached about Jesus, but they never introduced us to Jesus to begin with. And so here we were, all about Jesus. And what were they saying, in, in essence? If you come here, you're okay. Because we, have, we can save you. Do you know how many churches actually preach that? Well, Catholic Church, Presbyterian Church, and a number of other churches make it seem like if you follow their doctrine and their teaching, you're going to be okay. They can't save you. Jesus saves. Only Jesus saves. So, I like to cheer you up with this message. It's going to get better. Don't, don't worry. One of the greatest accounts in human history is the Exodus, the deliverance of the children of Israel from the bondage of the Egyptians. By the way, the title of today's message is The Deliverers. And I'm talking about you and those who will pick up that mantle and, and walk in it. So <clears throat> Moses 
God raised up a deliverer, Moses, to bring his people out of bondage. While he was a prince in Egypt, Moses uh, learned the hard way when he killed that Egyptian that he was not going to be able to do help his people in his own strength. And what happened? Pharaoh found out about the murder of the Egyptian from him, wanted to kill him, and he wound up not only not delivering the Hebrew people, but he wound up hiding, running out to save his own life, and spent 40 years in the desert. And I think something happened here, you know? And there's a sense where we have to come out of something before we can actually be of, of help to it. In other words, you can talk about a woke society, you can talk about this, you can, and yet you put stuff on the TV screen with your kids, you do this, you do that. All of this stuff that really is getting that wrong message into your own family. They say, well, you know, uh, everybody watches that. I don't care about everybody, I care about you. And you don't care about everybody. You need to care about your own kids and listen to your parents and walk with them. Now, it seems to me Moses, as I just said, had to come out of Egypt. And for some reason, he had to spend 40 years in the wilderness. And from a prince, it looks like he couldn't even speak anymore properly, was not able to what shall I say, uh, communicate uh, what God wanted him to communicate. So the Lord's looking for people that having come out to him, because you see, this whole idea here of Christianity is we come out from the world when we come to Jesus. We come out from under the powers of darkness because we now have been translated into the kingdom of his beloved son, Jesus Christ. We now become a kingdom people. We come out from on our path to destruction to being seated with Christ in the heavenly places. We come out of a place of fear of death to a, to a place of life. That means we're different people, doesn't it? Now you know what I mean by recreational Christianity and the Laodicean church. Can't tell much difference between us and the world sometimes. We look just, just the same. We need to change that. I'm not condemning anybody here or if you're watching online. I'm just saying it needs to change. So let's talk about Moses, okay? First of all, Moses had a call from God. Everybody needs a call from God. A call. If you're truly saved, if you have received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I emphasize Lord because Lord means master, owner, the one that's in charge. That means you're giving your life over to him. So if you've received him as Lord, guess what? You are predestined and you are the called. You've been called. Next, Moses, actually, in how he got called, he was pastoring his flock of uh, Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and, and he, he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, 
a mountain of God, place of worship. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of the bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. Let me say this here. It says here, the angel of the Lord appeared to him. Now, look, catch this now. That is the Malach Yahweh, angel of the Lord. We know him to be the pre-incarnate Christ. So it is the pre-incarnate Christ who is God calling there. And you'll remember in the Bible, I'm sure, when you read, I believe it's through John, when Jesus said, who the Son sets free is free indeed. And they said, we are free men. Abraham is our father. And he says, I knew Abraham. And they said, well, what do you mean you knew Abraham? And then he says, ego, I may. What he said is, I am. I am. He says the same thing that God said to Moses from the burning bush, and then they wanted to kill him. He identified himself as God Almighty. Very interesting. And then we go on down here, and we take a look at this, and God calls to him from the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. And he said, don't come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. He said also, I am the God of, of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face. He was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt God so loved the world. God saw the affliction of the world in trouble. What did he do? He sent his only begotten son. God cares about not just the Hebrew people. He cares about this world. He's trying to reach the whole world here. So what's he going to do? So for the Hebrews, he's going to send Moses. For this world, he's going to send you and me. That's he goes, and the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people in Egypt. Give heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I'm aware of their sufferings. So I've come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians. Who came down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians? God did. How was he going to do it? Through who? Moses. Right? I mean, he's, there's a pattern here that is always the same. God has a way of working with his own people. And I believe that the reason for that is that he's expressing his love and the obedience of his people and what God can do to his people will not be seen unless his people make themselves available to him. And maybe his people need to have the same kind of love and concern for those that are in problem areas and and do something about it. So the Lord said, okay, so I've come down to deliver them from the powered Egyptians and bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land 
to a land flowing with milk and honey. And he talks about the place of the, the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Presbyte, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite. And now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I've seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh, and you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. Well, I've come. I see what's happening. It's wrong. That's why I'm here. And now I've come to answer them. I've heard their cry. I can see what's going on with them, and I can see I can hear. And now, Moses, you're going to be my man. Uh, oh, really? Okay. So, and he says to him, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and Jacob, has sent you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial name to all generations. And what does Moses say? Well, what if they don't believe me? Well, pastor's kind of getting us fired up, but what if I go out there and I, I, I kind of, you know, reach out to somebody and they don't believe me? Don't worry about it. Well, here's what, here's what Moses was answered by that. He goes on to say, In Luke twenty four forty nine, and behold, talking to his disciples, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until clothed from power on high. Do you realize that Moses was called? Moses had no power, but God's going to give him powers now to do things. But you know that God gave that to you and I too? I can remember a day in the early days of this church. We weren't even a church at the time. I, I could, gatherings of people packed together. But the, the, the thing was, you went out. It just seemed that you, well, I remember going to one place. We, we walked into the, uh, oh, yeah, our team was out there evangelizing. And this lady came to the door and said, I'm sorry, I think this guy, I, I, I'd like to invite you in, but I can't do it. And so one of our, one of the ladies in the, uh, one of the ladies in the evangelistic team said, well, come here, I'll pray for you, right through the screen door. They were instantly healed and invited in. Instantly healed. We had a time when we were meeting in the school, and we got there, and the lady said to me, I'm sorry, I can't let you meet today because I'm sick. I said, what do you mean you're sick? Well, let's, let's fix that. Laid hands on her, healed, in comes the church. But we, miracles were happening all around us. Matter of fact, I, I had a prophetic word spoken over me uh, last week by one of the pastors in our community, uh, a man who I respect. And I'm not going to talk about that right now, but it was uh, very interesting, I'll say that. And then after he says that, Okay, um, you're going to go to Pharaoh. Where did we leave off here? And 
They have power on high. I'm sorry. I don't know how it happened to my people. Oh, here it is. Oh, yeah. Luke 24, the promise. And basically, it's interesting in the original language here, too, where he says to them, Behold, I'm sending forth the promise of my Father upon you to stay in the city until you're clothed with power from high. He said, don't go anywhere, don't do anything until you receive that power from on high. Well, that was a baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God. God's given you that same Spirit. And finally... Oh, I, I miss this, folks. I'm sorry. The next thing that Moses said to God, I'm not up to the task. I'm sorry. I, I, you know, I... You know, God, who am I? I I'm a nobody. That, that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt. And here's what God said. Verse 12. Certainly I will be with you. And this shall be a sign to you. That is, I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. See, God has taken the people out to do what? To, to worship him. Worship him, to, to bow their knee to him, to obey him, to walk with him. Worship, we, we complicate it, but it, if, you, if you notice, every time it appears, it appears in Scripture, two words, and one is always bow down. And the whole idea is we bow our will down to God's will. That's how we worship. And we do that in so many different ways, but that's part of our worship. Well, then of course came the other thing. Like I said, if they don't believe me, right? Well, who sent me? I am, and we covered that already. So let me just close with this. After he appeared to the 11 themselves, they were reclining at the table, and he, this is Mark 16, I'll close with this. And he uh, reproached them for their unbelief. What was their unbelief? They believed he was dead. He was alive. And he said, and he reproached them for their unbelief and their hardness of heart because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. And he who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. These signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name they will do what? Cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Friends, you have signs too that God's given you. But unless you believe and you go out and use them, in other words, believe God, nothing happens. You just stay where you are. And look at what he said here. If they are saved, he who has believed will be baptized and saved. He who has disbelieved will be condemned. That is a choice that they make. Your job is to deliver what God's given you in love. 
and that is Jesus Christ himself. May God bless you today, and if you have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, let's, let's set our hearts to follow him fully. Uh, let's begin by becoming a true disciple.